0: Our Father, we do thank you for the gift of your Son and for salvation. And as we have sung and as we've prayed and read, that Thanksgiving is the truest mark of understanding that gift, indeed of having received that gift of your Son. And so, through an understanding of the greatness of your glory and your grace, through an embrace of all of who you are for us in christ may we be a people who sincerely have the characteristic and the virtue of gratitude as the mark of our lives and help accomplish that in us even through this time that we'll spend in your word in your name lord jesus amen Well, we're going to, as you can see in your bulletin, look at the issue of gratitude. Now, this is after Thanksgiving. Uh, Sometimes we would do this before Thanksgiving, but we're close enough that I think gratitude is still fresh on everyone's mind, along with turkey and cranberry sauce and apple pie and everything else that you had just a couple of days ago. We're going to look at the topic of gratitude, of gratitude. I think that you would probably agree with me that a lack of gratitude is pervasive in our culture. A lack of gratitude. And it's, and it's really directly attached to what is also pervasive in our culture, which is namely a sense of entitlement. A sense of entitlement. If there's one thing that seems to reign in the mindset of Americans, if not men in general, but particularly in our culture, it is the sense of entitlement, which is the exact opposite of an understanding of grace and an understanding of the glory of God. A sense of entitlement betrays an ignorance about the devastation that sin has brought on to humanity and to us personally as individuals. And particularly for the Christian who claims to understand the grace of God, uh, the sin of ingratitude betrays a lack of understanding that grace and the person and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, as a Christian... One of the things that should mark our lives above anything else is the disposition, the mindset, the attitude of gratitude, of thankfulness. But again, unfortunately, it often is not. This is why the Apostle had to instruct the church at Philippi in Philippians 2.14, "...do all things without grumbling and complaining, so that you may appear as children of light among a crooked and perverse generation." So, we're reminded then that they were as prone to grumbling and complaining in the first century as we are in the 21st century. And it's because it's not a cultural issue, it's a hard issue that goes into our understanding of God's goodness uh, in our lives. And so, we need to be a people who are marked in contrast to the crooked and perverse generation which complains all the time to be a people who do all things without complaining. So in contrast to grumbling is a thankful heart and it's the mark, as I said, of a mature Christian. And gratitude isn't simply like we would see presented in a lot of Christianity, merely sort of just this happy, grinny-faced kind of attitude over life going swimmingly and everything going well and no problems, a kind of a problem-free life. That's not the gratitude that Scripture speaks of. It's a gratitude that... Is evident in the face of adversity, in the face of trial, in the face of the the struggle that we have living in a fallen world and living with our unredeemed humanity resident in us that we take with us everywhere. And we can think of many great examples of this. We've mentioned it often. It's one of the most uh, striking and, I guess, well known is Corey Timboom's sister. If y'all remember that story, I won't repeat it. But she was uh, someone a Christian was put in a Nazi concentration camp Uh, in the course of this story of her life. Corrie ten Boom, who's writing the account of everything that happened, mentions about when they were taken, her and her sister to a Nazi concentration camp and among all of the other miseries that they had to endure and would endure, they were taken to the bed where they were all crammed to sleep in this warehouse style kind of room and there were fleas crawling all over the bed and Corrie ten Boom's sister said, let's stop and thank God for these fleas. And Corey was like, what are you, nuts? Thank God for fleas? And her sister says, well, God says to give thanks in all things. And so we need to give thanks for these fleas. And, and they, she did. And as the story would go on, they'd see how God worked through fleas being in the bed. But that's a tremendous example of that attitude of gratitude that should be in all of God's people. We can think as well, and most probably... Uh, Well known to us, of course, would be the Apostle Paul, whose life was marked by joy. Joy emanates from all of the letters in the New Testament. and Most apparently, even in the letter to the Philippians, to the church at Philippi, which Paul wrote in the uncomfortable and undesirable circumstances of a Roman prison. And yet that letter is marked with joy more than any of the other letters of the New Testament. And he was continually filled with gratitude, obviously not because of his circumstances, but because of the overflow of grace he had received and the grace that he saw in the lives of others. So these we see as examples of mature Christianity, of a mature kind of faith, of somebody who does truly grasp uh, the grace that we have received in Jesus Christ. And what marks it is their attitude of thanksgiving and their attitude of gratitude. And as I said, this is too often different from us and the average Christian in America. I hope we are exceptions to that in the general flow of popular Christianity or at least growing to be. I have much to be convicted of in all of these things that I'll bring to you and am convicted by it and seeing the need to grow, but I think we'll all find ourselves in there somewhere. So briefly, I want to direct our attention this morning to that vital virtue of gratitude, of being thankful people, of people who are marked by that as a characteristic of life. So what we'll do is we're going to look at three aspects of gratitude, and we're just going to cover them in more of a survey-style um approach it's going to be we'll look at ingratitude and sin first of all negatively and then gratitude as it relates to salvation and gratitude as it relates to sanctification and then at the end depending on how much time we have three ways to develop gratitude in our life but before we get to these three i want to just briefly consider the terminology for gratitude the terminology for thanksgiving in the new testament now, the Old Testament term that's most often translated thanks has this root meaning. And this is going to be telling for us. Uh, borrowing from one lexicon or dictionary, to it, it, they define it this way. To acknowledge or confess sin, God's character and works, or man's character. And so really, the word that's translated thanks has as its root meaning or idea, the idea of Confession. The idea of confession, it's a confession of God's attribute, a confession of God's works, or negatively, a confession of our own sin. But it has the idea of declaring, or of confession. One noted this, that this term in the verb form was predominantly employed to express one's public proclamation or declaration, i.e. confession, of God's attributes and His works. Thanks is associated with acknowledgement of God's nature and works on behalf of his people. Thus, thanks and praise are inextricably linked. So, for the Christian, the idea of having a thankful heart is linked to praising God for who he is and what he's done and all of his works in our life. There is this Binding connection between the idea of having gratefulness and having praise to God for who he is, recognizing his works in our lives. Now, this connection between thanksgiving and praise is, of course, then throughout the Old Testament and primarily uh, a concentrated sense in the Psalms. Let me give you just a few examples, Uh, and I'll just read these to you. Psalm 717, the psalmist says, I will give thanks to the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord most high. Psalm one, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of his wonders, speak forth his praise. Psalm 34, sing praise to the Lord, you his godly ones and give thanks to his holy name. Let me skip through. Psalm 75, 1. Give thanks to the Lord, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. Men declare your wondrous works. Psalm 107, 1. Last one. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his loving kindness is everlasting. In other words, then, the idea of thanksgiving is directly attached to our apprehension and our understanding of who God is... His works on behalf of His people, it's directly attached to delighting in His nature and in His glory. The primary New Testament term has this idea. Having gratitude on the basis of some received benefit. Uh, There's a term Eucharisto, that's the definition of that. There's another term often translated thanks, or thankfulness in the New Testament. And it comes from a noun called charis. And you might know that. Some people name their kids that. Because it's also a term that's translated as grace. As grace. And that really then captures the idea. It is a res- heart that is responding to benefits freely received by God. That's the idea of grace. And that's the idea of behind the term when it's translated as thanks or as gratitude. It's the idea of responding to what we see as benefits from God that have been freely given to us as an expression of his kindness and ultimately his work in Jesus Christ. So thanks and thanksgiving then is the heart response to the works and the person of God. Now, I just want to mention this briefly. This is just introducing these three points. Because it is a heart response to God, it's an inner response. It's something that flows out of uh, who we are. It's not, not merely the words that we say. Again, it's the expression of our own character, our, the, thing, the way we apprehend the circumstances of our life and God's goodness to us in Christ. But to say that it is the response of the heart then has three essential components to, you, to it. And I'm just going to mention these. One is this. It is to say that God's goodness and God's character and God's work are recognized by us. They're perceived by us. In other words, we don't walk around this world ignorantly failing to see the many ways that his kindnesses are displayed. It is to say that we recognize his work in our lives. Two, it is to say that the displays of his works and himself are delighted in by us as his people they are delighted in they are loved and appreciated he is loved and appreciated they are seen as good and right and three then which is connected with that is they are recognized or he is in all of his acts as being good to us his people And goodness expressed to us from one who owes us nothing, who is under no obligation to show kindness to us. Even more, and this really gets to the heart of it, it is an inner apprehension of God's goodness to us who deserve, in fact, not his goodness and kindness, but his condemnation. But instead, he shows us so often goodness. He shows us always goodness. Actually, if we are in Christ, God has given himself to only treat us as expressions of love because we are in his son. So the first, then, the idea of recognizing God's work in our life is an expression, a basic expression of faith and believing. By contrast, you won't see that kind of recognition in the life of an unbeliever. Psalm 14.1 says that the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. So the unbelieving heart is the heart that goes through life and never perceives or these benefits of God that is accrued to them every day. We'll look at this later. It says the unbelief does not honor God or give Him thanks. The second is, goes a step further than just recognizing God's activity in our life and says that He is the source of all good things. James 1.17 Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. And by contrast, God's judgment on sin or expressions of justice which the righteous delight in are actually not the delight of the unbeliever, but in fact are often hated by him. The third is the truest expression of faith and maturity and the knowledge of God, and that is to see everything from God, even trials and suffering, as expressions of his goodness and and even in them that we can offer back to him thanksgiving and gratitude. By contrast to that, there is a kind of thanksgiving that is actually proud and self-righteous. That seems like it would go against uh, what we would expect. Uh, this is demonstrated for us. And I'm just mentioning this. In Luke chapter 18, you'll remember the comparison between the, the Pharisee and, or the, and the, who was in the temple with the tax collector. And the Pharisee begins... His prayer in this way, I thank you, God, that I am not like, and goes on down the list. I'm not like this tax collector. I'm a good person, and I thank you, basically, that I am so good. There's essentially a kind of gratitude, then, for one's superior righteousness. This heart would see God's gifts as proper to what they have earned and deserved. It's gratitude not so much for God's mercy to a sinner, but gratitude for making one as great as they are. So gratitude can be corrupted and perverted uh, as well, even within the religious. So gratitude then is, is merely then the recognition, the, the right recognition that God is involved with our lives, that all that God does is good, and that whatever God does good in our life is to us who are undeserving and have received from him only goodness and grace in Christ. Now, let me just go with that. Note the first point here, sin and ingratitude. Sin and ingratitude. Sin and ingratitude. So gratitude in a believer, as I mentioned, is what flows from an understanding of of God's mercy. It's a disposition of the heart, a mindset that that views all of life, all of circumstances, all of relationships through the grid of grace and salvation. At the base of our depravity and fallenness, however, is the inner reasoning and internal affections that function as if God is not the Holy Creator, the good and gracious sustainer of all things and the righteous ruler over His creation. Ingratitude has the basic attitude whether it's intentional or not to say that I can live according to my own desires I have no need to submit myself and to bring them in line with nature, with God's nature and glory or his, especially His revelation in Christ that I can make my own plans without concern submit them to His wise providence and rule that I can determine this, the limits and specifics of truth as I desire to without being yielded ...to his word, his divine authority that tells us right and wrong, what's wise and foolish. In short, an ungrateful heart says that I am in no way, and certainly not in any comprehensive way, indebted to God, ...nor do I owe to him allegiance, worship, or supreme dedication to his honor, ...nor do I have any impending obligation to believe that his salvation in Christ is my greatest need and my highest good. That's the heart of ingratitude. Ingratitude basically says, I do not owe to God gratitude for anything, and I do not owe him trust, and I do not owe him obedience. As a matter of fact, uh, Mary Moeller, is the wife of Albert Moeller, rightly uh, identified this in a book that she wrote, Growing in Gratitude, when she says this, Ingratitude is thus at the root of the original sin in the garden resulting in the fall. You ever thought of that? That ingratitude is at the root of sin in the fall. Ingratitude was at the root of Eve's falling for the deception of Satan. And ingratitude was at the root of Adam's high-handed sin to disobey God. There was embedded in the deceit of Satan and sprouted in the heart of Eve the idea that there was something more than God and what God had given to them. That was embedded in their sin. They were ungrateful for the abundance of His pleasures and goodness and so they sought to grab something for themselves that God had not given to them. Basically, they were ungrateful. And so they were going to... uh, grab something on their own that God had not given them. As if there were some lack in his goodness and in his gifts. Now a key New Testament passage that most comprehensively addresses this is found in Romans. So I just want to turn your attention there briefly. This is the negative. We will get to the positive. But unfortunately, ingratitude is what most often marks our culture and unfortunately... God's people. So Romans 1, 18 through 25. Romans 1, 18 through 25 is one of the most concise and comprehensive expressions of the ingratitude of men as a display of unbelief. Now, we'll read this as we go along, and, and as we do, we'll identify Three essential factors of our fallenness that contribute to the mindset of ingratitude. Ingratitude. Look at verse 18. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Notice verse 21. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God. Even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God. So the first thing that we've identified here then is that The unbelief suppresses the truth of God in unrighteousness. That is to say that God's goodness, His wisdom, His beauty, and His power, as He said in verse 20, are evident throughout everything that God has made. Through His kind providences, through His provisions to men in so many ways, with food and shelter and resources and pleasures of this creation. And yet, rather than seeing these as expressions of who God is, And rendering to him honor that is due his name, unbelief hides that. And we come up with ideas like evolution and say that, no, it's no creator that I owe any allegiance to or any honor to. It's simply the way that the world is. It's simply how things are. It's the product of random chance. It could have turned out any other way. It turned out this way. I don't owe any kind of honor to any kind of divine being, certainly not one who purports to be good, certainly not one who purports to be wise and good, for how could he be with all of the suffering in this world? No, I owe nothing to God. I do not recognize any of his divine attributes and any glory of any divine and celestial being, particularly not that of the Jews or Christians, and so I do not owe him anything. So unbelief then does not see God's goodness in life, does not perceive him as the one who is the giver of all good things. And so we simply suppress that truth. We ignore it or we rationalize it in countless ways. We reject, minimize or destroy, it, distort the truth God has made known through revelation of creation in Romans 1 and ultimately even in Scripture. Secondly, then, behind ingratitude, is to say it is verse 23. We'll keep reading from 21. Even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. At the heart of ingratitude, then, is to exchange the glory of God revealed in creation and in Christ for a glory and the exaltation of created things, people. We give gratitude for people without recognition of God's gracious work through people. Or even worse, we give gratitude to false religious ideas or stuff. Let me read to you just one passage here. I have several written down, but let me read to you out of Hosea, the book of Hosea, chapter 2. And remember, God is writing this to his people who should have recognized God's goodness, him as the supplier of all good things. He says this, speaking of his apostate people... She does not, verse 8 of chapter 2, She does not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the new wine, and the oil, and lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. In other words, all of these good things that God had given to them, all of these good things that God had supplied them with, to sustain them and to uphold them, to provide for them, Not only did they not give God thanks, but they took and received all of these good gifts and accredited it to another, to a false god. They, in fact, rather than giving to God the honor that was due his name, gave it to a false god who is no god, in this case, even Baal. So then what is... Behind ingratitude, it is to suppress the truth of God on unrighteousness and to refuse to see His goodness and Him as the One who provides us with all good things. It is to exchange the glory of God and see rather that these or credit rather the good things that God gives to corruptible things and to the mere. Uh, happenings of creation. And three, he says, finally, in verse 25, or beginning in verse 24, that God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. That is then, as we just mentioned, to accredit God's good gifts to something else. To something else or to someone else. And that's, that's the source and the essence then of ingratitude. Of ingratitude. And what is the consequence of this kind of mindset? What's the consequence of the, of the mindset of the individual or the culture or the nation who refuses to give gratitude to God for who he is? For who he is. Could you imagine if you saw a commercial with all the Thanksgiving commercials, they were actually sitting around the table giving gratitude to God and thanks to God? Could you imagine the outrage that would come from culture and society? And yet this is exactly what Paul is talking about. Who else would we give gratitude to? Who else would we give thanks to? And so if we have then a culture that refuses to acknowledge God as the giver of all good things, what's going to flow out of that kind of mindset? Well, he mentions it in the rest of the chapter. Again, we're just not going to go through it. But it is going to be a life that lives in complete disregard of him and his holiness and his truth. There's going to be complete sense of sexual freedom in Romans 1, 26 and following. He mentions their homosexuality. But that is merely the end of a long line of complete expression of sexual desires without regard to God's design and God's holiness. thats going to end up into a full-hearted embrace of homosexuality. And then that will just eventuate and be surrounded with an environment and a culture that delights then in everything that is opposed to God's glory and honor. Unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. That's the contrast to being a thankful people and a thankful culture. The contrast isn't more joy and more freedom. The contrast is greater wickedness and violence and hurt and destruction, and perversion. So, the sin of ingratitude is a very serious sin. That's a very serious sin. And look back at verse 21. At the center of all of that, as he says, is they did not honor him as, as God, or give thanks. Or give thanks. So at the base of our depravity is a failure to acknowledge God for who he is, what he has done, and to give him thanks. Now there are at least three principles behind this. And let me just mention them to you. And I'll just mention them very quickly. Because I want to move on. But one is this. I said it earlier at the beginning. Why do we not give God thanks? Why is there uh, what is behind ingratitude? The first is a sense of entitlement. I mentioned that. A sense of entitlement. Which is defined by one is this. The belief that one is inherently deserving of privileges or special treatment. That one is inherently deserving of privileges or special treatment. So if you have a sense of entitlement, if you see what you have as your right, again, that's endemic to our society, I am filled with rights, so what I receive is not a gift, is not a grace, is not a mercy, it's what I have coming to me, it's my due, it's what's owed to me. That kind of mindset is not going to be a thankful person, is not going to have a thankful heart this is certainly a fruit at least in part there's many things that could be mentioned but the self-esteem movement the idea that you are worthy of everything you receive how many times do you see in children's stories in commercials uh in whatever this mantra you deserve it you deserve to relax." You deserve this treatment. You deserve to pamper yourself. You deserve to get away and focus on you and have everybody else focus on you for a while. If that's true, if you do deserve that, then what in the world reason would you have to be thankful you're only getting what you deserve? This mindset has a deep inner perspective that I'm entitled to certain treatment by others. I am inherently worthy of whatever I receive and what I perceive I should receive. And my personal rights are my highest priority. There is a general attitude that perceives others' relationships and circumstances from the mindset of what I am owed and deserve from them rather than what I owe to them and owe to God. Now that's really huge. It's the mindset that kind of lives with life in this sense of what do other people owe me? They owe me respect. They owe me to be treated well. I'm owed justice. I'm owed a certain reward for my labors. But not the attitude that says, what do I owe other people? What do I owe God in terms of obedience in this given situation? So it is the sense of entitlement. Let me move on. The second is, and these all are, of course, blend into each other. Self-righteousness. Akin to entitlement, this is the self-perception that sees God's blessing, the admiration of others, or an attitude of superiority to others as a reality based on our own personal goodness, talents, obedience, deeds, or any other form of merit. A self-righteous person is not a person marked by gratitude because they merely live in light of what is owed them For their own effort and good works. And again as mentioned earlier. It has the fruit of contempt toward others. Not thankful to others. But rather contemptuous towards those. That it sees as beneath them. This is an attitude that feels justified in behavior and actions. That do not conform with the love to Christ. Humility or self-denial. A third Factor in ingratitude is idolatry. It's a sense of entitlement, self-righteousness, and idolatry. As a, and that is in this way. Idolatry is not so much, you know, the little statues that we always think of that. But it's the, it's the heart behind that kind of false worship. In other words, idolatry is the commitment to one's personal desires and whatever truth system justifies the pursuit and enjoyment of those desires without regard to God or His holiness. That's what's behind idolatry. And this kind of idolatrous mindset is not marked by gratitude or thankfulness to God for what He has given because it's only truly content when it receives what it desires. Which often when gained, leads to discontentment and more idolatry. So ingratitude is a base sin, and unfortunately that is what characterizes, and that wasn't always the case to the degree that it is now, but certainly as we're at the long end of a a pattern and a movement to remove God and any gratitude to Him from our cultural consciousness and the self-centeredness that's invaded even much of the popular church, There is with that uh, characteristic of ingratitude. Now, in contrast to that then, we should be those who are marked by gratitude. So the first one is ingratitude and sin. In gratitude, we could say then simply is at the base of sin. A failure to recognize God for who He is. A failure to recognize His goodness and our owing to Him all of our lives and our things. But salvation and gratitude and salvation... Again, this stands in stark contrast to that. In contrast to the ingratitude of unbelief, a chief characteristic of a believer is thankfulness. Now, this is not simply gratitude as a general attitude of life. In fact, sometimes unbelievers have a more general sense of thankfulness than even some believers. Have you noticed that? You ever found that to be true? Sometimes it's, it's the believers, the professing Christians who grumble and complain more than unbelievers who sometimes are of a more thankful kind of attitude, a more generous kind of acceptance of the good things that are received from others. Of course, they don't give glory to God, but they do sometimes have a more grateful attitude. But the gratitude of Christians, the gratitude of believers is fundamentally different than just a general sense of gratitude. Because it's gratitude that is directed toward God. It's gratitude that flows from an understanding of grace in Christ. It's grounded in and shaped by an understanding of the glory of God and of salvation in the crucified and the risen Christ. If you are a believer, then the most significant and the most amazing reality to you deep inside in your affections is this, that God is has forgiven you of your sin by punishing Christ in your place. That he has raised him from the dead and given you life through the Spirit. That is the most fundamental, central, significant, and amazing reality to you if you are a believer. And... So it's a gratitude that's not merely flowing out of or just words that we say or the polite response to gifts or kindnesses received. It is a fundamental disposition of the heart. It's fundamentally aware of God's sovereign grace in Jesus Christ to you and to me who is by nature guilty and helpless and deserving condemnation. If we don't grasp that, then grace simply won't be overwhelming enough to produce in us a heart of gratitude it's the heart the one who understands the pain of Paul who said wretched man that I am who will set me free from the body of this death thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus that's at the heart of Christian gratitude and also at the heart of Christian gratitude is a fundamental awareness of God's greatness, goodness, wisdom, and sovereign rights to rule over his creation and our lives as he deems best for our good and for his glory. Is that your attitude? Do you live in light of that awareness? If you have understood the gospel in grace, then that should be Though we might struggle to always live in light of that, at the base of how you view God and how you view life. Listen to just a few passages of how that's described. And again, I'm just going to read them. I just want you to get a feel for it. Ephesians 5.20 it says, we should always be giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Colossians 1, these giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom there is redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Colossians 3, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Colossians 2, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Do you you see what is the foundation of thanksgiving in our lives? The foundation of thanksgiving from those who are in Christ is that we are no longer under the dominion of Satan. That our eyes are no longer blinded to the glory of God's truth. That we are no longer those who are counted under condemnation, but we have received redemption, the forgiveness of sin through His blood, that we are being rooted, that we are rooted in and being built up in Him through faith. Commenting on this last verse, Colossians 2, that you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. Again, Mary Moeller said in her, her book. Uh, growing in gratitude. This is not talking about account count your blessings. And squirrel them away in a pretty notebook type of gratitude. Nor does, is it a suggestion to be a glass half full type of happy. Clappy flappy Christian in the midst of disaster. The gratitude is so much more than that. It's transformational. It is an intentional mindset that stems from the fact. That since we have indeed received Christ Jesus the Lord. Are walking with him. And are rooted and established in the faith we will overflow with thanksgiving as a result. So it means then that we view everything in life as those who have received grace, who stand in grace, who walk in grace, who have as every part of our life, whether it be joys or trials, the stamp of God's grace on us, forgiveness and mercy received in Jesus Christ. That's why we should be thankful. We're not more thankful because God gives us more stuff than He gives unbelievers. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite of that. He usually takes it away and we have less, as we'll mention in just a bit. At the foundation of our gratitude is that God has forgiven us of our sin in Jesus Christ. And if you are a believer, brethren, and if you're a brethren, you are a believer then that should be the fundamental lens through which you view everything. That you have been redeemed. You've been rescued. You have been spared. You have been granted mercy in Christ. And that, therefore, should be the mark, gratitude for that, of every aspect of our existence. So this kind of gratitude recognizes and is thankful as well, not only for God's grace in our own lives but then it produces a mindset a spiritual mindset that then is grateful not so much for the material things but for the spiritual graces that we see even in others we are thankful for other people not in terms of what they give us or what they can do for us but we're thankful to them merely because they also have received of the same grace And we delight in acknowledging those things in them. Again, I won't read all of these. I have too many here. But let me just read a few of you. Listen to how this is demonstrated in the life of Paul. Uh, Ephesians, this is how he begins. And most of these are just the beginnings of many of his letters. Ephesians chapter 1. Having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ which exists among you and your love for all the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. To the church at Philippi says I thank my God in all my remembrance of you in view of your participation in the gospel to the Colossians he says we give thanks to God the father of our Lord Jesus Christ praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints to the Thessalonians, he says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen as I read just a couple more what it is that spurs thanksgiving. First Thessalonians 2.13 For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the Word of God. Chapter three, verse nine. "For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? Second Thessalonians 1: we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of each one of you has born has borne only grows even greater. Last one, Second Thessalonians 2:13. We should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit in faith and truth. So one gets the feeling of the disposition of sincere gratitude that flowed out of the life of the apostle. Gratitude to God specifically for grace that he received and the grace that he saw in others. The obedience that he saw in the lives of other believers. D.A. Carson noted well on this. This made this statement, which is helpful. The unvarnished truth is that what we most frequently give thanks for betrays what we most highly value. Think maybe over the last week, the things that have most filled your heart with gratitude. Those are the things that you most highly value. And the same for me. That is why, this is Carson, that is why when we first turn to Paul's thanksgivings, they may startle us. They may even seem alien, for they do not focus on what many of us habitually cherish. Paul gives thanks for signs of grace among Christians. Is that how you think of others? Personally, this was convicting I realized how little I express the gratitude for the grace that I see in others. How little that is at the forefront, not necessarily of my thinking, there's certainly a recognition and awareness of it, but how often it's actually expressed and how often it's said. That should be the kind of thing that marks our life and our fellowship. Gratitude for one another because of the grace that we see in one another's lives. We should be careful to remind one another of the grace that we see in each other's life. And this displays then the interest of our hearts and the things that we most highly value. And it's not only when we see the easy tokens of grace. There's an even greater delight or treasure and of maturity of faith. When we can recognize this kind of grace and approach even christians who are struggling with sin with an attitude of gratitude for what god is doing in their life now if the church at corinth was known for one thing it is their disobedience their fickleness and they also are known for their repentance that's what marked them as being believers in christ but they had a lot to keep repenting of they were factious they were proud they were so often selfish and even at one point siding with false teachers against the Apostle Paul. And yet he begins his letter to 1 Corinthians with this. Now think about this for a minute. Think about if you were the Apostle Paul, how you would address this church. Think about how you would address them. Imagine you're writing a letter to the church at Corinth. And you might start off, you crazy, disobedient, selfish, proud Christians, get it together together. Don't you know that God calls us to humility and unity? But he says this in 1 Corinthians 1.4, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you in Christ Jesus. I realize as a parent how much more that needs to be expressed to my children, uh, which at times, as parents can know, can be difficult when there's, it's much easier to see only the disobedience and the sin or how we treat one another as well but this was the attitude of a gracious heart even writing to the church at Corinth he was begins his letter by thanking them or thanking God for the grace that he saw in them and an understanding of grace enables us to see this in others let me just for time's sake uh, say this then That we should be those who have a general attitude of thanksgiving and thankfulness that is grounded in our understanding of grace, that is grounded or that then overflows in that recognition of grace and others, that is quick to express that thankfulness to God for others and to others for the grace of God in them. Paul sums it up in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Sometimes we want to know what God's will is. We search for God's will. That's God's will. That we give thanks in all things. Thanks in all things. Now that connects then to this last point I want to make. Or that we'll look at. Sanctification and gratitude. Or gratitude and sanctification. This last point probably is the most telling condition of our hearts. And where the reality of the gospel is most evident. And that is that we give thanks through God's sanctifying work in our life. Thanks for God's sanctifying work in our life. It's the measure of where we are in terms of our walk with Christ or even the reality of our faith. Why would we say this? The goal of a spiritually mature and growing Christian is to be more like Christ. To be more, like—would right? you agree with that? More like Christ in our character, more like Christ in our affections, more like Christ in our love, more like Christ in our obedience. And so if this is truly our goal, then we thank God for whatever means he wisely brings in our life to move us in this direction and to produce this in us. So as God is providentially working through the word, primarily the spirit and the word, and then through the circumstances of our life with all of its disappointments and struggles, If he is working towards this one goal of forming Christ in us, and that is our goal, then in that process and in the midst of all of the frustrations, we can still maintain a heart of gratitude for God to his goodness. Not of grumbling and complaining about his providences, but thankfulness for what he's producing in us. Sometimes our frustration and ingratitude in our trials comes from the fact of Very simply, that we have a different goal that God has. We have the goal in our life of working towards greater comfort, greater honor, greater lack of problems, and God is working towards this molding us and shaping us into the image of Christ through trials and difficulties and sometimes suffering. And so if we're working towards one goal and the Spirit of God is working towards another goal, then that's going to produce in the life frustration. Disappointment that is comes to have a dominating effect. We tend to see difficulties of life as impediments to our true happiness or discouragements as those things that go against our truest desires. Now to be sure, discouragements, disappointments, and disheartening circumstances are a reality. Only in heaven will there no longer be any death and mourning and crying or pain. However, in suffering and trials... We must understand that God is working toward your joy, not against it. That's really a big statement, isn't it? In your trials and in your suffering, God is ultimately working toward your joy, not against it. And not denying that the suffering is real. But he's working towards those things that will mold us to Christ. Do you have difficulties in your marriage? Of course. Some do at all different levels. God is shaping you then in those difficulties to understand the mystery of the new covenant in Christ. Husbands, are you having difficulties loving your wives? And maybe you've been betrayed. Maybe you've been hurt in some significant way. God is working through that to teach you the joy of loving your wife as Christ loves the church. By making... The circumstances in which you have to do that require a greater level of faith. Wives, God is working through you, your difficulties, to know the joy of submission to your husband as the church submits to Christ. And that's hard to do as we'll look at when we get back to 1 Peter 3 when you have a husband who is disobedient to the word. Some who are abandoned or betrayed in divorce. God is working to you not to destroy you but to ultimately know the true meaning of the new covenant and intimate love of Christ for his people which marriage portrays and transcends marriage itself. Difficulties in other relationships. God is shaping you to learn what it means to love as Christ loved as he loves us and as God has demonstrated his grace to us in him. Difficulties in circumstances. God is shaping you to learn contentment So that you would not lean on your own wisdom and understanding. So God is working not against us but for us. In our truest and deepest and most lasting good. And so trials and suffering really get to the heart of our spiritual lives. Particularly our ability to demonstrate gratitude to God in the midst of them. And this really gets down then to kind of twist that knife a little bit. To see what it is that we are truly desiring and pursuing. And do trials display a proud, complaining heart or a truly grateful heart to God? And, you know, there's both, too. Sometimes they display a grumbling heart, but that's to the means to work us towards a grateful heart as we confess sin and we seek to grow. But let me do this, and I'm going to... not make a lot of comments, but I just want to give you a few categories. How can we thank God? How can we, or why should we? What reasons do we have to thank God in suffering and in trials? Let me give you just a few. In suffering, we can thank God for this. And again, these, these are the reflections of mature faith. These are the reflections of a mature Christian. Even one who is a Christian at all. In suffering, we thank God that we are able to glorify Him in this way. Acts chapter five, verses 40. After calling the apostles in, they flogged them, and so the apostles went out on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer in His name, thanking God that they were considered worthy to suffer in His name. First Peter four: "If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. It's not God against you. It's God's blessing on his people. Because the spirit of glory in God rests on you. If anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. So we can thank God that we're able to glorify him in our suffering for his name. Or we can thank God for the comforts he gives us that enables us to comfort others, to love others better and with compassion and with empathy. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. In suffering, we can thank God that He's helping us to experience His grace and growth in faith and comforts that come through faith so that we know that we'll be able to encourage and help others who are going through the same thing or will go through the same thing. There's a particular mercy and comfort that someone can give to another who's experienced that themselves. There is. God's truth is the same for all. But there's a particular understanding that can come from one who has suffered the same thing. And so the mature Christian in the midst of that suffering can say, I thank God for this because he's making me a more useful servant. To others, or we can thank God because in our suffering we learn greater levels of obedience. Hebrews 5 8, although He was a son, He learned obedience from the things which He suffered. Or we can thank God because our suffering causes us to increase in our longing for heaven. Paul said in 2 Corinthians. Momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That's a mature Christian who in suffering can say, God, I thank you that I can glorify you this way. God, I thank you that you're teaching me deeper levels of obedience and how to obey you against these odds. Thank you for giving me comforts in my suffering that will allow me to serve and minister to others. Thank you in my suffering by weaning me from a love for this world and causing me to long for heaven even more. That's a mature faith. How about in trials? Why can we thank God? We can thank God for removing things out of our lives that would promote pride. Psalm 39, 11. With reproofs you chasten a man for iniquity... You consume as a moth what is precious to him. Surely man is a mere breath. Trials help us to remember how small we are. How dependent we are and how short this life is. And so we can thank God and say, God, I thank you for showing me that. In showing me that, you're making me more like Christ. We can thank God for showing us our weakness to keep us from pride. Psalm one nineteen sixty seven says this, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. Paul said that he had a thorn in the flesh. He asked God three times that he might... That God might take it away, and God's answer was, "My grace is sufficient for you, and for power is perfected in weakness." Paul says this, Second Corinthians twelve. Most gladly, therefore, will I will rather boast about my weakness, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's how we can thank God in trials because it exposes our weakness. And in our weakness, we're less dependent on ourselves and we're led to the foot of the cross to trust him. And we God, thank you, Christ, for drawing me into this more intimate fellowship with you, a fellowship that I would not have had if I did not have this trial. Again, this doesn't take away from the pain of the trial. That's what makes it a trial. But it says there are deeper realities that we as believers can know in the midst of it. We can thank God that he's training us to know the greater assurance of our faith and the fruit of righteousness. Hebrews twelve seven, quoting from Proverbs, at first says this, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Thank you, Father, that your discipline is confirming my sonship, that I belong to you. If you have sin that God does not discipline, that shouldn't make you think of how wonderfully gracious God is, and I'm so free to continue on. It should worry you. You should think, am I a Christian, that God's going to let me get away with this? But when we sin and we know that God is bringing difficulties in our life as a direct result of our sin, we should be thankful. Thank you that your rod and your staff comfort me because they discipline me and it shows me that you love me and that you care for me and that when my heart is going astray and I would go down a path that is only destructive, you come and you thank me as it were so that I will go back on the right path and do what is right. And so we can be thankful for God for that. Because in the end, it's going to yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness where our sin will only lead to destruction. Uh, Lastly, we can thank God for trials maybe just for this reason. Because through these trials, through the things that he takes away, through the difficulties that he brings, that we are better able to know the depth of his glory and our smallness. Do you see that as a blessing? A mature Christian does. Listen to Job at the end of all of his suffering. He says, Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear now and I will speak. I will ask you and you instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. But now my eye sees you. Therefore I retract. And I repent. In dust and ashes. We can thank God. And ask him to align our hearts. With this purpose. That in our trials. That are bringing us low. That make us weak. That he is shaping and forming us. To the image of Christ. His word is becoming more real. His promises are more full and more true that our knowledge of him is increasing and that our knowledge of our or our concern for ourselves is decreasing can you thank god for what humbles you and that happens on a scale right of things that are just mildly humbling to things that are devastating to things that are short-term to things that are drug out and long-term doesn't minimize the pain it doesn't minimize the amount of wisdom that is necessary in trials and the counsel and all of those other things but it is to say at the base of our attitude our maturity and the reality of spiritual life is such that in the trial rather than fighting against god's sanctifying work we can align ourselves with it and give him thanks and say god i thank you for what you're doing Help me to learn every lesson that you're teaching, that I might know you better, that I might reflect your son more fully, that I might understand grace more deeply, that I might be weaned from a love for myself and a love for the things of this world and might be weaned to you to love you more. So it comes down to the matter of what we are pursuing and what we choose to focus on in difficulties. Do we focus on the gift difficulty or what God is accomplishing? Now how do we develop this heart of life and gratitude I'm just going to mention them quickly First of all we need to recognize the sin of ingratitude and entitlement and confess it confess it as sin Just confess our sin of ingratitude Secondly we need to meditate study and think much on scripture and spend time with God in prayer developing and growing in our knowledge of him and his glory in Christ You're not going to be a more grateful person until you know God better Until you're more amazed with His glory and more amazed with His grace. And that's not going to happen by a proof out of the sky. It's as we pursue Him. As we come to know Him in His word. As we seek to obey Him. All of a sudden, we'll think much more of Him and less of ourselves. And the grace that we've received in Christ will become more and more wonderful and we'll become a more thankful people. A more grateful people. Thirdly, we need to make the conscious effort to recognize and express gratitude to God and others for evidences of grace and kindness. We need to make a conscious effort to do that. I'd encourage us to, and again, I'm kind of the most vulnerable to this, right, because I'm saying it out loud in front of you, (laughs) but to be a people who are thankful for one another and expressing our gratitude to God and to one another for the grace that we have received and that we see in each other. Let me end with these words that we sing all the time that, we, that should mark our lives. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ His Son. I would encourage us to be then a thankful people. Let me pray and we'll close because we're just a couple minutes over. And uh, so the prayer will be our benediction and we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for your gift the gift of your son and how much we have to be thankful to you for you each of us here has food in our stomachs we have shelter Uh, most of us have health we have so many tokens of your kindness help us to notice them to not take any of them for granted forgive us of the sin of entitlement forgive us for the sin of being ungrateful Forgive us for the sin of thinking we deserve or are owed anything and help us God to recognize grace in more in its fullness and depth. And I pray Father that you would help us to be a humble people who recognize grace in others and are quick to express it. And God bring us in line with your will and your purposes so that we could be a people who are in the midst in the midst of trial can nonetheless demonstrate that our highest joy and our highest affection is in you and that we desire to be shaped by you and to know you in the glories of your Son and receive from your hand whatever your wise providence ordains to move us in that direction. And Father, help us to be models of our gratitude by our obedience and by our trust in you. And produce these things in us. It's impossible apart from your spirit. But by your spirit. We can know the true joy. Of a grateful life. We thank you again. For the gift of your son. And we pray these things. In his matchless name. Amen.